This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This is Pop Culture Confidential and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential. Thank you for joining me. So, Laura Poitras' documentary, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, is about the life and career of photographer and activist Nan Golden and her efforts to hold the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma accountable for the opioid epidemic. It was one of my most powerful experiences at the Venice Film Festival this year, and it was thrilling when the film won the Golden Lion. Only the second time a documentary wins the top prize at the Venice Film Festival. I got the chance to speak to Laura Poitras at the Stockholm Film Festival where the film is screening and where Nan Golden has a retrospective showing at Moderna Museet in the city. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is an incredible and urgent film that really weaves two narratives. Golden's suburban upbringing, the early death of her sister to suicide, the AIDS crisis, and how all this has impacted her art, as well as Golden's activism. Golden has been open with her opioid addiction and the nearly lethal overdose she suffered a few years ago. After recovery, she started the organization PAIN, Prescription Addiction Intervention Now, in response to the opioid crisis and to her own personal story. The organization's goal is to hold the pharmaceutical companies that have profited off addictions and the deaths of over half a million Americans accountable. Their main focus, the Sackler family, which owns Purdue Pharma and manufactures OxyContin. The Sackler family has donated millions of dollars to arts organizations and museums, including many of those that housed and showcased Golden's own groundbreaking work. Nan and the group Payne have carried out protests and actions at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, at the Guggenheim, as well as in Boston, Washington, D.C., and more. Laura Poitras' films include My Country, My Country, a documentary about Iraq under U.S. occupation. She won the Academy Award for her film Citizen Four in 2014 about political whistleblower Edward Snowden, to name a few. Her film All the Beauty and the Bloodshed will be coming to theaters throughout the fall and winter. The photographer Nan Golden. She's a major name in the art world. The work was incredibly political. It was about power, and particularly about the power that men have over women, and how that power is translated up in society. A hundred thousand dead! A hundred thousand dead! There's the Sackler family of the art world, the museum world, and philanthropy. And then there's the big pharma marketing and addiction and death. My anger at the Sackler family, it's personal. When you think of the profit of people's pain, you can only be furious. Hey, 
Vietnam said, I think we should take these people down. But do you think my career will implode? And I said, probably. We need to demand that the Met Museum, the Louvre, the Tate, refuse donations from the Sacklers and take down their name. Laura Poitras, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So you've been called one of the most essential artists and documentarians of the post 9-11 era. You have wanted to expose corruption, pursue truth. You followed whistleblowers, Edward Snowden. How would you say that Nan Golden fits into your body of work? I mean, there are a lot of parallels between the this film about Nan and my previous films. I tend to make films about um, individuals and portraits of individuals who are sort of at some historical um, crux moment uh, and who are confronting power, who are challenging power, particularly U.S. empire or U.S. society or U.S. Um, political structure. And so Nan kind of fits in, you know, I mean, um, the story of her taking on the Sackler family, you know, a renowned artist deciding to sort of use her power in the art world to take down a billionaire family who are responsible for um, sort of igniting the overdose crisis in the U.S. So there are a lot of parallels, but then there are some things that are really different with this film from, the, for instance, my film about Edward Snowden. Right. So in 2017, Nan Golden had just gone through some horrific times. Well, you tell me, where was Nan when the idea for this movie started to materialize? So um, as you know, Nan has been very public about, she um, had an OxyContin addiction. And when she came out of rehab, she read this article by Patrick Radden Keefe, a writer for The New Yorker, who laid out the case, uh, who drew the connection between the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma in a way that hadn't been done in the past. Um, it has been known in the U.S. for a long time that Purdue Pharma and OxyContin has led to um, really a crisis of, of um, overdoses. But, you know, the, the Sacklers have been very clever in keeping their name out of the press. So they kind of kept their name out of the press, like how they made their money. But meanwhile, there were these sort of philanthropists who were donating money to the art world and so they have wings and all these museums in the Sackler you know name was on the Louvre and in the Tate and um, uh, at the Met in New York and and the Guggenheim and so she she recovers and and she reads this article and then she sort of realizes she has to do something and it you know use her her power and influence you know as a renowned artist um, who's collected by all these museums to just to um, take the family down and it, her you know, she created this organization called Pain, which, you know, was dedicated to shaming the, yeah, shaming the Sackler family, first to, to pressure museums to stop taking Sackler money, which is, you know, it's hard, not easy to do. They weren't that happy at the beginning, and then ultimately to take the name down. Um, so that, that's kind of how the journey started. I'm interested in the prestige that billionaires, in this case, the Sacklers, get from supporting high culture. Yeah. Is that quantifiable? Did it help them get away with it, right. so to speak? I mean, you know, this is, you know, it's really, it's, it's been called like art washing. It's sort of like blood money sort of being washed through the cultural institutions. You know, they get a lot out of it. I mean, there's tax write-offs, you get naming, you, you know, you have your name, it sort of has a prestige to it. You know, this kind of... Um, 
philanthropic society, you know, being a member of that. So there's all these sort of like incentives, but it's also like financially, I mean, there are tax write-offs, so there's lots of benefits. Um, but, and it, and they're not the only, you know, it's not the only dirty money in, in museums and philanthropy, you know, like there's, you know, lots of um, associations with uh, military and, you know, other kind of blood money, what you'd call blood money, that's being used in, in museums. And the Sacklers were funding other institutions, correct? They were funding... They're also funding um, um, medical schools. Very ironic. Really ironic. I mean, it's just terrifying that, you know, like you're a medical student and you have to walk into a building that's like the Sackler building. And then you're like, you know, they're, they're responsible for this sort of massive crisis of, of overdose. And so, it, you've you know, you've seen, you know, people really being outraged. I mean, you know, if, you know, young medical students, like, yeah, so... So yeah. Anyway, so so Nan really just decided to spearhead this, and you know her work, and it's also it's built on or uh, the work of also many investigative journalists. But those journalists who also know Nan and respect her enormously feel like that they had been writing and writing and writing, and still yet the name was still there. So really, there was something that there was a kind of a tipping point when when um, Nan got involved. Your film opens with the 2018 pain protest at the Metropolitan Museum of Art's Temple of Dender Room. Pain and NAM, the organization, are pressuring museums and institutions to drop their affiliations with the Sacklers, both financially and otherwise. What has the sacrifice been to NAM's career? Yeah, I mean, for sure... Everybody, you know, she was taking risks. You know, you take, you know, you're taking on a billionaire family. They have unlimited resources. They have army of lawyers. They have their private investigators. You know, they they can do a lot to really make your life uncomfortable. Um, but I, you know, I think she was just really motivated to, you know, that she had she was in a unique position. Both she had the authority as an artist who's in the permanent collection of these major museums. And herself could speak about OxyContin from a personal perspective. So this was a lot of power. You know, she really wanted to leverage that power. And um, but yeah, that definitely came with risks. And you know, in the the early days of when she was doing these demonstrations, the museums weren't saying anything. They weren't issuing any kind of statements. And so they were, you know, alone out there for a long time. It wasn't. It took until. Over a year until the muse- the first museum rejected Sackler money, and that was the National Portrait Gallery in London. Um, they were um, uh, in talks with Nan about doing a retrospective, and Nan was like, "Well, I'm not going to work with you if you take the Sackler money." And then they rejected it, um, and it was it was a million pounds, so it would be like 1.3 million dollars. And then it created this sort of domino effect where the Tate and other museums started to say, "Okay, we won't take their money," but they still had Sackler wings, and and then that took a lot longer for for that to change. You were mentioning armies of lawyers. I've spoken to a few others that have written about the Sacklers and they were mentioning sort of looming threats and investigators and lawyers. Um, Did you feel their power? Did you feel them coming after you? You know, I kept it a low profile and I wasn't that worried, you know, honestly. I I wasn't that worried, but I mean, we we did follow Nan and, and Payne. I mean, they had private investigators who were like very obvious, you know, outside of Nan's house, you know, clearly trying to intimidate, you know. And so, um, yeah, that's creepy. It's creepy. 
And they also did it to Patrick Radden Keefe, you know, a renowned journalist. And, you know, his neighbors are saying that there's somebody, you know, in an SUV outside of your house. And, you know, he's got two kids. And it's just, it's just, it's pure intimidation. It's pure intimidation. I don't know if you're familiar with Danny Strong. He wrote, of course, Dope Sick, also about the opioid crisis. He was mentioning some things, some intimidations that they felt. Did they? I didn't know that. It's a, it's a playbook. I mean, you know, like, yeah, this is what billionaires do when, when journalists and activists start to try to hold them accountable. So the second narrative in your film, so to speak, where Nan narrates her personal story is so raw and strong. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Strong about her sister's early suicide and self-harm and um, the friends she lost in the AIDS crisis. Tell me a little bit about the conversations that you had with Nan for the film and and how you did this. Yeah, Nan and I, um, you know, we did many conversations. They were just audio like we're doing here. I would go to her house usually on the weekends and we would just talk, you know, about specific people or, or periods in her life. And yeah, they were incredibly, you know, I agree there. She's there was a, I felt the kind of rawness and intimacy in how she spoke uh, in in these conversations, which was kind of similar to her photographs, right? There's they're, yeah. they're just like cut through to just like some something that's really raw and really emotional. And yeah, I felt that really strongly um, in in making the film. And and how was it for her? Did you feel there were moments that you guys were really tapping into something she hadn't spoken about before? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I don't, can't speak for Nan, so I can't say how it was for her. No, I mean, I think we both know that it was very intimate. And, you know, we built a lot of, you know, ways in which she had the opportunity later before we released it, you know, to, to, you know, the, the wider audience to listen and make sure that nothing was too, um, if there was anything that was too sensitive or too personal. But um, I think... Yeah, I mean, I think it was, a, you know, it was very, um, I think she's just incredibly brave, you know, both in her, her art and um, in, in this film, you know, and, it, and it's not easy. Like, I can just say that it's, it comes, you know, like, it's a real, you know, she's so brave in terms of talking about her life and, um, and, and sharing what she does and, and hopefully, and hopefully reaching people, right? You know, because I think, I mean, there's, there's a line at the end of the film, where she says, like, the wrong things are kept secret in society and that destroys people. And I think that's kind of the ethos of, you know, like with, with this activism, it's like the, no, the shame belongs on the, on the billionaire families. Like that's where the shame belongs, not, you know, on um, individuals who are struggling with drugs and et cetera. Also so powerful in your film are the court sequences on Zoom with the family victim statements as well as the presence of several Sackler family members listening to this what was it like to be present for that and could you feel any sort of remorse on the part of the Sackler family members that were there listening 
I mean, watching it, did you think that there was anything? No, nothing. No, I mean, it was so, I mean, I was filming that day and, you know, it was haunting and horrifying, you know, to hear, you know, families talk about the loss of, you know, their only child. And there's one f- mother who plays her 911 call when she discovered her overdose child and, and calls 911. And she's sort of, you know, screaming as a mother who's just seeing her child who's dead. And, and, and then, you know, then you have the Sacklers just listening and not shedding a tear and you know I mean they had known you know since the early 2000s that people that this drug was being abused and you know their response was that how can we sell more project tango right yeah project tango is horrible you know like you know where they have a funnel like I actually drew a diagram where they want to like how do we get more people hooked on oxy and then how do we make money on you know rehabs centers and stuff like that. I mean, this is just like pure evil. I mean, how can you become like this? It's so craven. Nan says very powerfully that uh, photography has always been a way to walk through fear. Um, Is that something that you share in terms of being behind the lens? You know, Nan and I share sort of like a rejection of like denialism and rejection of sort of, you know, normative society. Like we just, I think we um, don't really feel it. It's, I, I don't know, that there's a, that there's a lot of really, um, I, that, that the sort of the, the rules of society, you know, uh, I th- in many cases should be rejected, you know. And um, so, so we do share that. Yeah. And then also just being, you know, like, I mean, my, my work more recently is just completely horrified by, you know, U.S. empire and this kind of myth of American exceptionalism, you know, and just trying to sort of expose that in, in any way I can. And partly as, as a, you know, citizen of the United States, like, I think that's my, my job as a, you know, as a filmmaker and as a journalist. In your career, you followed whistleblowers and activists and so many people that have put their lives on the line. Is there anything you see that um, is similar, a trait that people who are willing to risk so much have? Yeah, I don't know. It's a hard question because I, th- um, I, I mean, I do think it's there are some. I mean, I'm thinking about when. Um, I made a film about Julian Assange and he just, we we were talking about risk and he said something that I really loved, which is just like, you know, there's, there's a, the risk of doing nothing, you know, the risk of not fighting for the things you believe in, you know, that you're, you know, every day you, you die another day. And if you don't do anything, that's a risk, you know, so not doing something is really risky, you know, and I think that's really, I mean, I, I mean, if I were to speak about Nan, I mean, I think she just had to. Like she was just compelled. Like she couldn't have this knowledge and not do something. And and you know, it's not just having the knowledge, but it's also like she was in a position where she could, you know, make a change, and she chose to. I mean, the same with Edward Snowden. He felt that you know the public needed to know what was happening, um, in terms of global surveillance. And so it's just kind of I think a, a need to. You know, unless you believe in like that the status quo is great, I th- I think you know it's kind of our responsibility to use whatever skills and power and influence we have to try to change it. How has Nan's art influenced filmmakers and yourself? 
Oh yeah, I mean she's I mean she's influenced like generations of filmmakers for sure. I mean so many different ways the use of music, her the sort of use of narrative, um uh, her compositions, you know, like you know you hear over and over people like, you know, cinematographers who are are use, working from Nan Golden photographs mm -hmm. to sort of establish um a palette for for cinematography. So yeah, I think it it you know the work her work has you know, really influenced not just um, what you would call maybe art world, but also cinema and film. And for yourself? Yeah, I've known Nan's work since I was first introduced to it in the in the 80s. And, you know, it's just always, you know, both her, her art and the kind of the groundbreaking nature of it and sort of really changing kind of ideas of, of storytelling, of narrative storytelling and and with her slideshows um and then just also a groundbreaking um woman artist who just paved the way for for others her photographs like those those photographs when she was a teenager of david armstrong are just like oh they're just so incredible incredible and the music the soundtrack is so good I believe Nan um, was the music supervisor on the film. She's like the um, her, the credit is music consultant. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She. I mean, we we licensed a lot of music from her slideshows, and then there was the Soundwalk Collective, or who did the score for the film, or close collaborators with Nan, and um, and then she made lots of other recommendations. So yeah, it's. Um, this, I mean, the film throughout is a collaboration with Nan. Finally, have you seen any accountability in terms of the Sacklers and Purdue? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's it really is a film about impunity. I mean, they, you know, they got away with it. You know, like there, no one's, none of them are facing criminal charges, even though they knew what was happening. And they just decided to make more and more and more and more, more money. And then they pulled their money out of the company. And then, you know, then they moved their money to Europe. You know, it's like, it's really, it's such a dark story. It's such a dark story. And so I, this this is not accountability, you know, like there's, there's been no accountability. And, um, and, you know, they're in a way unscathed. They, they negotiated these um, vast uh, releases for, all of their lawyers and companies and trusts, you know, in, in, in this negotiation process. And so they get away with it. Well, thank you so much for all your work. Um, the world really needs people like yourself, like Nan, the activists. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, good to talk to you. Thank you so much to Laura Poitras. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Pop Culture Confidential is a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. See you next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.